James Patrick Dunn is truly a renaissance man, a singer, songwriter, television writer, brand campaign designer, and actor. He is the only man to be recorded by Anson Williams, Jermaine Jackson, Susie Quattro, Marion Ross, Kenny Rogers, Scott Bayo, and Whitney Houston. A man who has written music for over 1,500 television episodes, whose songs racked up 28 million in sales, and wrote one of my favorite episodes of Happy Days, Potsy Quit School, Miss mm -hmm. James Patrick Dunn. Well, thank you so much. That's such a kind introduction. I appreciate it, Ian, and I I'm, I'm, I'm feel privileged to be here to talk to you. Thank you. So I was doing some research. I so that you w were born in LaGrange, Illinois. Yep. And right about the same time as David Hasselhoff. Yes, exactly. I can't believe you know that. Yeah, that's true. He actually... Oddly, lived right down the block from uh, from me, and uh, um, just he was like, you know, big four or five years older than I was, but um, but a wonderful family and knows a lot of the other families, uh, you know, that were in our in our neighborhood. So you never hassled the Hoff. Never hassled. Never hassled the Hoff. I borrowed a Farfisa organ from him one time in high school days, and that was that was the. Only interaction I had with with him, but he was a, a theater major, um, and uh, uh, and you know that was his first days of his acting life was at Lions Township High School. All right. So, what hit you first, music or TV and movies? It was really it was really music. Um, I did I I um, was drawn to to songwriting um in my you know grade school life um and and kind of kept going and then did that through through high school and made a couple of piano records along the way in high school and college and um and then with that um after graduating from college at university of kentucky down in lexington um drove out in my my uh, little car and again, came to Los Angeles, and I was both interested both in in uh, in songwriting, but also really drawn to just the world of storytelling with with television, and felt very lucky to to get a first job on uh, on Happy Days. And you're more of a Great American Songbook kind of uh, songwriter. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I was drawn to that as a kid. Um, the people that were most influential were sort of the the more um, melodic side of pop and rock. It was the uh, the um, the Beatles for sure, but it was you know in the earlier days the Gershwins and the Cole Porters and the world of that of of the American Songbook and. And then, but it was also popular music like the Carpenters and Bread and um, and and Carol King and James Taylor. But it was really the it was the singer songwriters that was where my heart and love was. Okay, so you have an amazing story about how you hooked up with Gary Marshall. Yeah, yeah. Um, I it was I, the I when I was in college. Um, uh, I taught tennis at a, um, at, at a number of the local clubs in the Chicago suburban area and, and gave lessons to this, uh, to this kid. And I mean, this kid whose dad was a uh, fraternity brother, not a great fr friend, but a fraternity brother of, of Gary Marshall 
um, at his Northwestern days. And, uh, and with that, it was one of those few kind of, you know, connections to something in show business uh, when I got to Los Angeles. And, um, and with that one, uh, it was just enough to get an interview with him. At the time, he was producing a you know, bunch of shows and hit shows at Paramount, including Happy Days, and, uh, and, and got an interview with him. And, and as a good Midwesterner, it was in the middle of summer on a scorching hot day and walked in in a, in a suit and tie and, um, and, and he had an interview and I could tell real quickly I wasn't getting a job and, uh, but he, you know, he's nice. He was very nice to me, but I wasn't getting a job and, and walked out. And as I walked out the door, uh, this, this kid was kind of next in, uh, to meet with Mr. Marshall and, uh, and he, and he looked at me and said, condescendingly, nice outfit. And only because that kid said that, I just thought, you know, the hell with you and walked back into Gary Marshall's office. He was already on the phone with somebody. And, uh, and but when I had had the interview with him, uh, when I walked, when I, when I had the interview, the first thing he said to me was he was looking at this picture of himself um, uh, after he had just built this tennis court in his backyard. And, um, and he looked up when we started our interview and he, he said to me, he always talked like he kind of had a lobotomy like the week before. And, um, and he looked up and said, I got no life. I'm, um, I'm, I'm producing so many shows. I got no time, no life. Anyway, who are you? What do you got? And, um, and, and so when I walked back in, um, uh, after that kid said that in the secretary's office, um, I said to him, I got the one thing, Mr. Marshall, that nobody else in the Paramount lot can give you. And just out of just this, you know, odd fascination, he told the guy on the phone, he'd call him back. And, um, and he had no idea what my name was even by that time. And he said, and what would that be? And I said, you said you needed a life. He said, I said, I can give you a life. I said, I'll see you at your house at uh, 10 in the morning this Saturday. And um, I'm going to give you a 55-minute tennis lesson. And you're going to give me a five-minute writing lesson. And he paused a second and came behind his desk. And he said, you got a deal. And, uh, and that's how we started our a relationship that was a lifetime relationship um, with with uh, Gary Marshall as a really amazing mentor in my life. And um, that first week of a lesson um, went just as we said, you know, 55 minutes of, of tennis and five minutes of writing. And a couple of weeks later, it was, uh, you know, 20 minutes of, of, of uh, him giving me a writing lesson. And it was raining one day about a month later, and he said, come over anyways, and sat in his, in his kitchen, and he brought out all these old uh, books that he had of all of the scripts that he had written, and, and he, he taught me the, the art of writing through, these, through the different series that he had written over his lifetime. And, uh, but that was at the core of our relationship was really his absolute love and reverence for the art of storytelling. 
And uh, what a gift that was to me. And the other gift, though, that he gave me was I was just an idiot 22-year-old out of college with zero experience in anything to do with show business or television at all and, um, and just gave me keys to Paramount to open the doors to, to any offices. And, um, and uh, I, you know, kind of prided myself in trying to get there early and stay late. And, and, uh, but he, I was able to go into the writer's rooms. I was able to go into the editing rooms. I was able to go into the music studio of, uh, on Paramount lot, the infamous studio M and, and just watch. And in those, in that, you know, that early first year of just being able to witness television and how it was made by these remarkable, um, you know, Titans of the industry at the time uh, was just, I, I was just so lucky, so privileged to, to, to be in that position. And, and from those days, uh, was able to kind of parlay that into, uh, into writing some episodes for the show. And, um, and then in doing that, kind of moved up the ranks on the, as an associate producer and then producing some other shows for Paramount. And, but, you know, in that um, journey, it just, it was, I was just so blessed to be able to be in a, in this incredibly rich, just garden of, of talent that was on Happy Days at the time on the other series of Laverne and Shirley and Mark and Mindy and Cheers and Tom Hanks's series and so many shows at Paramount at the time with just an extraordinary group of talent. Before you went to California, you, you made an album, Me and My Song? Yes, I can't believe you know that. Oh my gosh, I did. Um, it was That was my first piano record. I made it in a little studio in, uh, in Gary, Indiana. And um, my mother sat in the, in the studio as I uh, played through the record and uh, and sold it in my local town, and that, that was sort of my first stab at trying to be a, a songwriter. And, and in terms of that journey, you know, had a chance to a guy in town that was in the uh, in the Chicago film business got to write this uh, the background score for this Dorothy Hamill um, project, um, and with that project you know as with everything in life it's amazing how people that just believe in you or you know pat you on the back and tell you you can keep going and uh and give you a little bit of confidence it's amazing how those things matter and i'm just i'm very very blessed to have many stops along my tom sawyer journey that way that um, people were just you know so wonderful to me and giving me chances at a young age to, um, you know, to try to prove myself. We actually have something in common. We're both Phi Beta Kappa. Oh, great. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I was, I went to University of Kentucky, a pal that was down the hallway from me that was just, he just loved the art of academics, a guy named Joe Grant Clark. And probably the smartest guy I've ever known, and 
a great pal, has been a great buddy of mine my whole life. And, um, but, but I've never, never knew anybody like that, that just loved academics. And, and, uh, and with that, I was sort of a fish on the whale's back and kind of uh, tried to emulate what he was doing in terms of uh, uh, his love of, of, of academics and school. And, and with it was lucky enough to get involved in um, this, this early version of the honor society in college and, and uh, just, just love taking a whole lot of classes. Mm. And one semester took 29 hours of classes and wow. I mean, it was crazy. And, but it was great. It was just that it was such an amazing um, opportunity to, to love learning. And, uh, and, and it was a place that, you know, sort of was the, uh, the, the bed of loves of mine that have now been loves my whole life of, of science and um, uh, physics and cosmology and especially things in the science world. Hmm. I had uh, Fred Fox uh, and he, we, we talked about an episode of my, one of my favorite stolen melodies. Yes. Oh my gosh, I love it. Well, Fred Fox was is an extraordinarily talented writer, a great human being, and uh, was just beloved by everybody on the cast, uh, the actors and the writers and the producers. I mean, just you could not love Fred Fox, and uh, and and that was one. Of, that was a great episode of Happy Days. That was one where Fonzie wrote. Um, Fonzie wrote um, "Do the Fonzie," and uh, which was a song that I wrote, and uh, we had more fun with hiring a, um, a choreographer to come in and figure out this dance of "Do the Fonzie," and it was sort of at that time when Fonzie was, you know, really a big star in America. So it was fun to kind of do that and be a part of that that story, um, and then in it too. Freddie and me and a couple other guys in the show were part of this. Um, God, I can't. Freddie and the Red Hots, and it was, uh, and it was. I think there was four of us, and we were just, you know, the, you know in the show, we were just four idiots that were um, in a competing band, and uh, so it was a, it was a wonderful cameo. I think I, I was on more shows um, in those years of life where. Um, you know, I came in for one or two lines that were basically to say, you know, some version of uh, um, here's your mail, but um, uh, had so much fun just being a, a lousy actor on a lot of, on a lot of different uh, shows during those times. I'm surprised they haven't released it as a single. You know, it was such, it was just a different time. That was where, you know, to get something to radio and, uh, it was just it it just there was a such a long gestation period that it would take to you know to bring something out and to get it into the public that way and a song one of those songs um during those years that uh you know in a different time it probably would have had a different life that way was um it was an episode that i wrote uh for happy days when it was it was when chachi was really sort of taken off in the show and his relationship with Aaron Marie and Joni was, um, was escalating. And, um, and, and I wrote an episode that, that, uh, 
where uh, I where uh, bottom line is is that that Joni and Chachi sort of formally fell in love, and there was a school play that was about Lagrange, my hometown, um, and uh, and then in this school play, um, it ended in them singing a love song to each other, which was a song "You Look at Me," um, that actually was from a melody that I wrote for my mom on that first record that you mentioned when I was in high school. And, um, but, uh, but wrote this song, you look at me and, and I never could have imagined the response it got um, from the audience. Um, but it just kind of caught those two actors, Joni and Chachi, just at that, you know, right moment of their, of where they were in terms of the, storyline of the show and their and their their fame at the time um and and out of that show uh it it kind of uh blossomed a spin-off of that series Joni Loves Chachi where then they you know continue to be in love and start their musical career and then actually that song was the theme song of Joni Loves Chachi as well but at that time if that song um, just because of the popularity that it had because of that show. But again, Ian, in those days, you know, the, the, the ratings were like, I think the numbers were like 48, 48 or something, where 48% of Americans were watching these shows. I mean, it's just crazy numbers that you can't even imagine, you know, in a today's world. But, you know, there was a different times. There, was, there were basically three channels. And... And this was this Tuesday night, this magical Tuesday night that they had Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. And I mean, it was amazing. And, but, um, but because of just what we're talking about, there wasn't, there wasn't a vehicle where you could take a song then and, 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 you know, do what they do now on with American Idol or, uh, you know, or The Voice where a song could be on and literally the next day, it's, it's, you know, it's climbing up the charts because it's out there. It's just it's digitally able to get out there, you know, right away. So I guess when like Shelly Fabre sang Johnny Angel, they knew that that was going to be something. It may have been. And yeah, there was a couple, not long after that camera, which one it was, but there was an, another one that broke out of television. Um, I had some fun with some songs that that actually that were on soap operas to begin with and then sort of blew out because um because they you know they hit a nerve in the world of soap operas um happened with a song on the soap opera side um i'd written a song fighting nobody loves me like you do with pamela oland a terrific songwriter lyricist and uh and it, we, I had, um, at the time, I had written some of the bigger songs that were part for the characters of As the World Turns and some other shows at the time that were in that world. Um, and, and the producer of the show was a, was a friend. And um, so I wrote that for, it was a big wedding that was coming up with Meg Ryan, who was on the show at the time, and, and another guy. And... Um, so that was their in the show. They it actually part of the storyline of the show was that that um, that one of uh, 
Meg Ryan's friends uh, wrote a song for them for their wedding. And so it was, it was actually a part of the show. And, uh, and then they did it on that show and it, and it got crazy numbers. This company sold 17,000 pillow, um, pillow covers that had the lyrics or something of the song on it. It was crazy. And, but with that attention, there was a whole storyline that was that involved the song on the show. Um, with all of that, other things blossomed then with that um, on the, on the countryside. And Murray had a big hit with it, with, uh, um, uh, with Dave, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name, but had a, had a big um, country hit with that song. And then right in about the same time, um, Whitney Houston, who was a young artist at the time, um, she cut it as well. And then that record just exploded. Um, and so it was really fun to be part of that journey. That was a duet that she did with Jermaine Jackson. And, um, but, you know, one thing sort of led to the other um, uh, that, that started with, uh, you know, being in the soil of a, of a soap opera. Another, if we go back to Happy Days, if you don't mind, uh, another episode you wrote, Potsy Quit School with, yeah. with the great, and, you know, the right atriums where the process begins with the CO2, but enters the heart. Oh, my gosh. I love it. So, Pumps Your Blood. It's one of my favorite episodes. Uh, oh, my gosh. You are so nice to say that. Thank you so much. Well, Pumps Your Blood, that episode, the Potsy Quit School, I think it really happened because Gary Martin, this was like in my end of my first year, I think, on the show. And so, my job title was Gopher in my first year just to go for things and uh, you couldn't have a lower job on the show and uh, and every week I would write an episode and um, and stick these these episodes and treatments under Gary Marshall's door and and uh, and he came up to me after one of them and he, he basically said, I can't get any more of these every week. The only way I figured I'm going to stop you from, from making me read these things every week is if I give you an episode. <laughs> so he, you know, gave me that episode uh, to, to write. And it was about Potsy struggling with learning, um, learning in school. And Fonzie suggested, you know, you love music. Why don't you, um, uh, write a song about the circulatory system for this test you have coming up, and maybe that, maybe then you'll be okay because you'll remember the words to it. And so, with that, I wrote this song called "Pumps Your Blood" that explained how the circulatory system worked. And I remember going into to Anson Williams, who's a, a pal and couldn't make a better guy than Anson Williams, and went into his his office. Um, and, you know, I was a 22-year-old knucklehead um, in my first year and said, okay, so Anson, here's the, you know, here's the song that we have to go into the studio to record for this episode this week. And sang him this thing with this chorus that basically says, pump, 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 says that about 20 times in a row. And he looked at me and said, I am not singing that crap on national television. <laughs> and, um, and little did either one of us know what was going to happen to that little song. And um, that, that episode 
won some awards because of that about that it, because it was it was uh, um, celebrating education and learning, um, and then um, and then it went on to be the I think it was the Heart the um, the American Heart Association their theme song, um, and then it just had like a zillion. Um, videos of high school kids and grade school kids and college kids doing these videos to that song um, uh, to learn how the circulatory system went. And, and then, um, and then St. Joseph's Aspirin um, adopted as their official song. And then it was a commercial for them for, I think it was a couple of years uh, with this, this, uh, grandfather on a banjo playing it with the bouncing words along the way and kind of uh it just has continued to have a life of its own um and and then it was featured in this this documentary about education in america i mean it's it's just it's astounding what a shelf life that little tune has had um but really fun to be a part of that and fun to uh to do a little something to to celebrate you know to celebrate learning in a in an environment of a of a sitcom like happy days and when i had um when i talked to anton williams um they i think he made it uh for covid uh wash your hands Yes. Yeah. And then this was probably, you know, whenever the middle of COVID, so it's been like three or four years ago now, um, he called up and he said, why don't we, let's re let's redo that and take the same thing of the chorus and just make it about um, that you need to go wash your hands and for kids. And this was actually you know, when COVID was just sort of evolving and the that, you know, the story that was coming out that was the best thing you could really do was just make sure that you washed your hands. So. Always a good thing anyway. Always a good thing to do. And so um, I rewrote the lyrics to to be wash your hands. And then and then Anson and I made a fun little video about just that and threw it up there in YouTube land and uh, took on a little life and showed up on some different talk shows and, you know, those uh, morning shows and, uh, and it was fun. And a lot of kids, uh, it got a lot of, uh, it got a bunch of, a lot of attention in those couple, you know, handful of years ago, which was lots of fun. Did you play for the softball team? I did. Um, I, um, I, that was such a fun thing. And Freddie Fox and another great writer on the show, Brian Levant, um, uh, two great guys and great writers. Um, they were, uh, they kind of pr produced the softball team and I was kind of their, uh, mini me to help out with different things with the softball team. And, um, and then we, we, with that got to play in, um, baseball stadiums and the, it was basically the casts, the cast of, of the biggest shows at, on Paramount a lot at the time. It was Tom Hanks and uh, Laverne was there for some of the games. And and then everybody from Happy Days, Fonzie and Richie and Ralph and Anson, just, and Marion Ross and all of them, and, um, and Tom Bosley. And we 
literally tour the country uh, for these weekends and play in in Yankee Stadium and in Chicago and Milwaukee and I mean everywhere. I mean all the biggest stadiums in America. And then after that, then we um, went over and did some things that tied in with the USO and did games in Okinawa and um, in Germany and um, for the troops. And it was incredible. And, you know, just spoke volumes to the uniqueness of this cast that, you know, that this group of people, we became a family. It was just an extraordinary group of people and talented people um, in the writing side and the acting side and the producer side. And we shared this little moment in time of, you know, literally traveling the world, um, playing softball in stadiums. And, you know, I'd be standing in, you know, in, the, in Comiskey Park and think, how did I get the, how am I able to hit a softball and stand at the plate in Comiskey Park? I mean, it was just the wildest thing. And um, incredible experience, and uh, just you know, one of the one of the brainchilds of Gary Marshall in terms of a way to kind of to bring everybody together and to create a sense of culture. Um, and it was extraordinary. It was an extraordinary experience that both was lots of fun for the folks that were at the games, but. God, did we have fun traveling around and uh, and doing it. And I'd have to say with that, Eon, as I'm sure other folks that you've talked to that were part of that show, um, I don't think any, any of us had any idea at the time what Happy Days was going to evolve into. You know, it was really a unique situation. It was a, it was unique because of the extraordinary talent pool that was in that you know, in that flower bed of, of happy days. Um, but also just the culture that Gary Marshall created of just a very, very loving, happy bunch of people that, um, that uh, cheered everybody on and were very supportive of each other and uh, to the benefit of everybody. It was, it, was, it was a really positive, nurturing environment for everybody. I saw a picture of you in the newspaper from November 1980. You were about to go have Thanksgiving with the troops with Anthony uh, Williams and his wife, Lori Mahaffey, and Marion Ross. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was sort of as a stepchild of those baseball tours. Then I produced um, a USO, a couple of USO tours. Um, I think that's what that was about, but where we did musical tours. So it wasn't softball, but it was. No, you were playing the piano. It was probably that. And then we, we did some where we did, we did a couple tours in Europe um, that were music tours with um, um, Cynthia Rhodes from Staying Alive and um, just some really terrific people that, that, um, traveled around doing, putting on USO music shows. Um, and, uh, and I um, produced those and uh, had a blast. But I, we, I think I, I, with some of that, uh, Marion, I think went on a couple of those as well outside of the baseball 
I'll, I'll say the right. Marion Ross, by the way, that'll make a better human being than Marion Ross. I mean, just yeah. an absolute pistol of a human being. And the thing that I think folks don't really um, realize with Marion is Marion was a serious actress, um, you know, as a um, in her 20s and 30s. And, and those were very, very different days for a young woman to work her way up, um, uh, you know, breaking into television and film. And, and she did. And Marion has the, had the, always has had that wonderful combination of both being incredibly talented, but um, also just a, such a lovely human being. And then on top of that, just a, pistol and and that you know she gave you the impression that she was you know was all sweet and lovely she was a tiger and uh, there's there's no no surprise that marion hasn't had the success in her life that she's had I heard an interesting story from um the producers of night court she was a guest star on an episode where um, she was uh she played a housewife who couldn't discern between tv and reality and Basically, she went to the set and the, the cast was unhappy about one thing or another. And she was like, you know, I was on a show for 11 years. You don't realize how lucky you are oh. as an actor to be on a show that's popular and a hit. Yeah. And, and you shouldn't act this way. And right. when they got her talking to, they, they, they snapped too. And they were like, you know what? She's right. I, I can hear her saying that. And... I think it's very true. It's, uh, it's, it, it's, I think it's very true. It's that, you know, especially with actresses, actors and actresses is that, um, you know, for most, they get one swing at that bat where they have one show that they, you know, really were a star on and, and all that. And there's very few others that, you know, have been able to parlay one series success, you know, into many others. And one of the guys um, that was on Happy Days has done that in the most extraordinary way. Um, it was Ted McGinley who played Roger. He was, he was Fonzie's buddy on the show. And, um, and, and Ted was a, uh, was a, a amazing water polo player at USC, I mean, Olympic level, and then had this wild run as a world-class um, uh, model uh, for about a couple of years. Um, uh, and, and then out of that, uh, got a shot to be on Happy Days. And, and so, and then with that, um, that was his first series uh, to, and he was on, you know, brought it, and he was on a hit show, and uh, and had that run. And McGinley actually and I, because um, we were two young guys and sort of our mid twenties at the time, um, were both single and and we were looking for an apartment. And we got an apartment together. We ended up in a we rented a house in the top of the Hollywood Hills um, under the Hollywood sign for about almost three and a half four years uh, together and just had the best time and being a roommate of Ted McGinley during that rain, during those years 
couldn't have been more fun. And but uh, but McGinley went on um, post Happy Days to be a star on Love Boat, Children, Dynasty. Um, I forget Kate and I, something. It was I can't think. Sports Night. So, so many. Right. And then, and then now is on a new one um, on on Netflix. Um, that I'm blanking on the name right now. That's um, um, oh my gosh! That's about uh, um, a psychologist um, shrinking, and it's on. And meanwhile, has been on a million, starring in a million movie of the weeks, and and uh, and he's he's a star on a, a daytime. I mean, on a Saturday morning um, cartoon show. I mean, the guy has been in a zillion shows, a zillion, so many, literally like seven hit sh shows. And so it's, that's a very rare thing. And, you know, and most actors, going back to what you said, don't realize at the time what an incredible privilege it is to have the chance to be a star of an American television show. And uh, as with so many of the people that were, in that happy days um, cast and family, um, uh, it just, you know, it, it bred the the value or the importance of being a good person, and um, and 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 having a nice time on the in the journey along the way, and um, that doesn't mean it's all rosy and perfect, but that was generally the feeling, and with Ted. Um, you know, he's really, it's a, it's a, it's an attribute. It's that, you know, Ted is somebody that, um, like any job, I always think of with song with musicians, there's an old adage as a musician, um, you know, that if you're picking somebody to be in your band, there's two things that kind of matter. One is how good are they? And two is, do you want them on the bus? And, um, and with McGinley, he's, fabulous at what he does as an actor and yes you want him on the bus he's a guy that was easy to get along with fun to be with on a cast and and uh and that makes a big difference and just in if you're a good person and uh and and people want you around when you wrote the song when you put your heart in it and yeah. kenny, and kenny rogers uh did you send that to Kenny Rogers or did he, one of his people hear it or how did it get to him? That was, um, uh, when you put your heart in it was a, it came from a buddy of mine, a guy named John Aaron's a great guy, great talented guy was one, one of the leaders of the, the United States gymnastics federation, which is now, um, uh, USA gymnastics. And, and he and I, he was out visiting um, and he was telling me how their Olympic, their team was getting ready to be in the Olympics. This was, I think it was like in 88 or 92 or something. And, and he said they were getting ready to be in the Olympics and, um, and they really had a shot to be the best in the world, to win it, the Olympics, especially on the female, the girls team. And um, he said, but the problem is nobody really knows about the gymnastics team. There's no, you know, there's no story out there and nobody knows who we are. And I said, well, you know, maybe something that could 
help the cause is um, it's like, let's write a song about about the gymnastics team. And um, do you have an official song? He goes, no, we don't have an official song. And sort of in a in a um, uh, the Wizard of Oz way, it was. I said, okay, well, let's do that. Let's create an official song. Let's I'll write something, and then you know, if you like it, maybe you'll make it the official song. And if it's an official song, maybe that's something we can rub some sticks together and, and get this out there. And and so I wrote. When you put your heart in it, it was sort of an anthemic song about uh, that you can do it and you can make it and positive song, a song I was proud of, did it with a guy named Austin Roberts and a great songwriter from Nashville and uh, had a whole bunch of hits, um, just a great guy. And, um, and then with it, we sent it out to a bunch of different people um, and we were stunned at how many of them because we were sort of pitching it up and it's going to be it's official song of the United States Gymnastics Federation. It's gonna get. It's gonna be on NBC with the Olympics. It's good, it's gonna have its life. So it was a value add to the song, and we had Peter Cetera and a whole bunch of artists at the time. Julio Iglesias, a um, bunch of people that were interested in cutting that song. One of which, and Restless Heart, and the countryside, and and uh, also. Um, uh, Kenny Rogers, and um, and Kenny was sort of coming down on the backside of his career at that moment, but still a big, 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 big star, and uh, and so we thought that was the best way to go. So Kenny cut a version of it with one of my musical producer heroes, a guy named Jim Ed Norman, who I've been very lucky to have some some uh, success and hits with Warner Brothers down in Nashville. And um, Jim Ed did some amazing songs like Desperado with the Eagles and a whole bunch of things. And couldn't be a better, couldn't be a better person. And um, anyway, he produced it, did a great version of Kenny Rogers doing the song. And Kenny Rogers' manager was a guy named Ken Cragen, who passed away recently. Extraordinary talent. And Ken created We Are the World and um, was the manager of, I'm blanking on his name with We Are the World, the guy that wrote it with Michael Jackson. Um, Lionel Richie? Lionel Richie. And, um, and anyway, Ken is just this fantastic guy and just can make so many things happen. And so Ken and I had a blast rubbing sticks together with this song with the Olympics coming up. And having that thing of that it was the official song um, of the Olympics, suddenly that's on the radio and it's being introduced. And then now for the, you know, the upcoming theme of the, uh, you know, Gymnastics Federation, um, when you put your heart in it, and Kenny's got a song that was rising up the charts and, um, and the Olympic team <laughs> happens to explode and they won the Olympics and, um, and next thing you know, it was the American Music Awards. And Kenny Rogers probably at that time didn't really have any business being in the American Music Awards. It was on the, you know, on the backside of his career. And there he is on the stage singing When You Put Your Heart In It. And behind him on the stage is all of the gymnasts, all of the gymnasts from the the women and the men's team, and they're all on the balance beams and all kinds of stuff behind them. On the American Music Awards, they're probably going out to a billion people, you know, around the planet. 
And I was sitting there in the in the audience with Ken Cragen and and Kenny Rogers is singing that song. And Ken and I and my buddy John Harris looked at each other and just said to each other, how the hell did we make all of this work out? And uh, and not only to work out, but Kenny Rogers ended up then singing that for two different presidents in the White House. It was on, um, I think it was an ABC special um, that ran not a, ran after that. That was about um, gymnastics and the, the success they had. Just took on a whole nother life, and it's, it's taken on a life with corporate America and videos. And but it was a wonderful example for me of rubbing sticks together and and trying to create a song that captured the essence of what this team was doing and then with sort of the fun of creating that that creative work with some you know real uh stick a cigar in your mouth and sell the hell out of that thing we we got things happening that uh that turned out to be terrific for everybody involved it's a long answer to a short question. Was that the Julianne McNamara team? That doesn't sound familiar. I think it was before that. It was um, it was before that. But it was a and and a bunch of those gymnasts um, went on to have wonderful careers in you know broadcasting and everything else after that. But um, uh, that was a that was a really fun. That was I felt so privileged to be part of that that ride and the fun of uh, being involved in the in the olympics and then i've i've had some other fun with other songs in olympics with um jim had also cut a song that jim and norman's cut another song that was um for um track and field but it was a chance of a lifetime with a great acapella band um, take six that they ended up actually winning a grammy for that for that record, they did this song "Chance of a Lifetime" that was similarly um, involved in the Olympics, and that it was fun taking that ride as well with you know with another team. Um, you've written a lot of college school fight songs. Yeah, in my life, it seemed like with grade schools and just the, my journey, and then my kids' journeys. I was sort of writing songs, you know, for some of those schools and things along the way. Um, and then my daughters went to SMU down in Dallas. And I, my daughter was standing at the end of this long boulevard at SMU um, under these beautiful trees. And it was a sunset. It was just gorgeous. Some, uh, a fall night and, and or spring night. And I, um, and as she was walking towards me, just into my phone, I just, um, basically wrote out or sang, sang into my phone the essence of this new SMU song. And then with that, we recorded it and um, the university, the, the leadership at the school liked it. And and next thing you know was the song they were playing at graduations and different events. And it was so wonderful to have a song that was a part of a university. And then with that, um, some other universities have uh, asked me to get involved with with their school songs and alma maters and fight songs and had fun writing ones for UC Merced in California, a new state school, and uh, Claremont 
uh, McKenna in California, amazingly great, great school, and uh, Pepperdine, um, different, just different schools around the country. And but that's been so much fun to write songs that you know that you unlike normal songwriting, you're writing for the audience of a university. They're the only ones that matter. So you write in a language and in a, you know, using um, symbols um, that, that the school knows, but not necessarily anybody else is familiar with. And, and the fun is, can you, you know, can you write something that, that hits a nerve, that emotionally hits a nerve? And in terms of that, um, I'd have to say it's, you know, that's the thing to me that is the fun of songwriting is there. The art of songwriting is, can you write something that's about three minutes long that's, you know, using the sort of the crafts of, of lyrics and, and melody that in some way to a complete stranger hits a nerve, hits an emotional nerve, whether that's that makes them heartfelt, pumps them up, can you hit that nerve and and that's the fun and that's the challenge of the of the art of writing a song just one other thing I want to ask you. did you write mommy now i'm a big kid now oh, oh my gosh i wrote that was for uh the pull-ups um <laughs> for the, the for pull-ups the uh the baby diapers i've written some commercials along along the way that was one of them but I was one of many. There's, there's been different of I'm a big kid now, right, and right. I wrote one of one of those I'm a big kid nows, which was lots of fun to be a part of that. Right. All right well, thank you for thank you for doing this. Oh my, it's a pleasure, Ian, and I appreciate you, um, you know, uh, talking to different folks from that show or you know different shows, and um, it's uh, you know we're all we're all. We're all really lucky. We're lucky to have been able to be a part of that that journey with that show, and and uh, from the folks that you mentioned that you spoke to already that are on that show, um, uh, just such a talented, great group of people, and I feel very blessed to have been part of that part of that family. All right. Have a good night. Thank you, Ian.